0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, a coach for women here in northern Japan, and the creator of the Women in Japan Mastermind and the Jumpstart course. So today will be the last episode for this summer. Um, Don't worry, I'm coming back, yeah. Just taking a little break from the podcast over the summer and I know that in the summertime I definitely listen to fewer podcasts and it's probably because I'm off my schedule, my normal schedule, um, being home in New Zealand, that sort of thing. Um, And I know that lots of other people are not doing what they normally do in the summer. So I've decided to give myself the summer off from podcasting, but I'll definitely be back again in September. So don't worry too much. And this is a chance to catch up on all those episodes that you might have missed or didn't get to finish, that sort of thing. Go back and catch up on some of those and definitely be back again in September. So um, for our last episode today, uh, sorry, our last episode before summer today, we have Louise George Kitaka on the program, and I was so excited to have a chance to interview Louise. Not only is she from New Zealand, same as me, which is very cool, um, but she does great work um, You know, as a freelance writer, as a teacher, a university instructor, and as a cross-cultural trainer. So many, as she says during the, um, during the interview, so many strings to her bow. And it's uh, what I really love talking to her about is the route that her family chose with her children's education um, being bilingual and bicultural and, you know, balancing the two countries of Japan and New Zealand. So I think this episode has a lot of value, especially if you have children who are, you know, younger or, you know, you're considering what you might do in the future with them around their schooling then this is the episode for you. You can hear about what Louise's family decided to do and how it's worked out for them and some of the things that popped up as they went along on that journey that they didn't know about when they started. So this is all great knowledge for us to have, that's for sure. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this uh, interview with Louise. (music) Hi Louise, welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. It's great to have you here today. Hi Jane, great to be with you. Yeah, I'm so excited to have a fellow New Zealander on the podcast with me today,
1: (laughs) (laughs) representing the North Island. Yes, yeah, not the, the, the big island, the proper the big island. I- the what? <laughs> <laughs> no, we will not get into that. We're all one.
0: <laughs> yeah, Louise, so for the people who um, don't know you, please just introduce yourself briefly and let them know a little bit about what you do.
1: Sure. Well, um, as Jane said, I'm a fellow New Zealander with Jane. Um, I came to Japan when I was 20 and basically stayed. And I have uh, three kids, three cats, and one husband. Not necessarily in that order. Um, <laughs> not three husbands. Yes, that's good. no, not three, husbands, <laughs> not three. No, one's enough. Um, I live in Tokyo, and I am a mainly a freelance writer. But um, like many of the people out there, I'm, I'm doing several things. I'm also working a lot for the publishing industry. I started off in that, so I still do a lot within editing and writing. Um, I do a lot of media writing, business content, um, travel, that kind of thing. And I also teach part-time at a university, at a women's university, um, in the cross-cultural comparative side. And finally, I'm also a cross-cultural trainer, which essentially means I work in the relocation side. So it's with either families coming from overseas to Japan on transfers, or with Japanese families going abroad. And I work with the parents and the kids. Um, so I do, it, I do bilingual programs um, as, as required. So quite a lot of strings to my bow, and I used to say I'm a jack of all trades, but I know that that, doesn't, that sounds a bit piecemeal, so I just like to say multidimensional. <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah, a man would I say that, right? I, women tend to say, oh, I do this and I do that, but um, I think a man would say, I'm multidimensional, I have many things, so mm. let's go with that. There
0: are a lot of things, that's
1: right. I love yeah, it. At I mean, heart, I'm a writer. I, I call myself a writer, at heart. You're a writer. Yeah, that's yeah. cool.
0: So you said you came to Japan when you were 20. How did you come to was was uh what what sort of you know how did you get here <laughs> right
1: so, okay. yeah, um well i did japanese at university it was sort of just beginning to become a thing in new zealand when i went through um i got out of uni at 19 so it's quite early didn't really know what i wanted to do but i had a made i'd made in japanese so obviously i wanted to keep it up and if you don't use it you lose it and of course this yes. is back in the pre-internet days when it wasn't so easy just to you know Skype a friend or something and, and use your language skills that way. You really needed face to face contact and um, wasn't a lot going on in New Zealand at the time. Um, I got a job at the airport in the duty free shop just to sort of keep it up while I look for something um, better. And I ended up getting a job with a very small company that brought me to Japan to train. And you know, when you're, when you're 20, coming overseas to train is, a, is a, like a dream come true. I'd actually been yeah. here on a working holiday just for a few months when I was a student. So it was really helpful for my language skills and it was really um, amazing to come at 18 and you know, um, everyone's like catching me and I was like, you know, the, I felt like the bell of the ball because <laughs> everyone yeah, was like, yeah. nice to this young this young Kiwi um, with a bit of Japanese under her belt. I worked as a waitress in the, in the Ginza actually and I had a homestay with a family who knew my, one of my um, lecturers back in, uh, Japanese lecturers back in New Zealand. So was like a nice introduction but that wasn't real life because you know in Japan a student is kind of given a lot of leeway you know you're still not a member of society but when you are working you know you're expected to buckle down so I came across um as a working person for a very small firm in a very um inaka area of uh Hiroshima (laughs) it it, it was a big town for a New Zealander but most Japanese would call it quite rural and I just happened to meet my hubby um at a Christmas party and um, the thing that most people find a bit amazing is that we met at Christmas and 10 days later, before New Year, we were engaged. So,
0: <gasps> wow, a
1: very, very a well romance, so to speak. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> love
0: it. That's so
1: great. Yeah, And here we are. Um, how many years have we been married now? Probably um, give my age away with this, but we've been married uh, 28 years. So obviously it went all right. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah like you know yeah. it just goes to show if it's meant to be it's meant to be kind That's of thing
1: if, right. if a friend if my best friend had written to me and said, oh, i met this guy um overseas in a different culture um he's he's actually 10 years older than me as well and uh 10 days after we first met uh he asked me to marry him and i said yes i think what on earth are you thinking so but yes it, it, yeah. it just so you just do not know
0: I get goosebumps when you're telling me this story. So, yeah, this I like get goosebumps story.
1: thinking about it because I look at my kids now. Um, One of them is older than I was when I got married. Right. And my, my daughter is actually older than I was when I got engaged. And I think, wow, I was a baby. <laughs> <But> then, <laughs> yeah. then, in those days, we were a bit more independent, I think. you know, I was living on my own from 19 and paying my own way and stuff. So we were more naive in some ways because we didn't have the internet, but we were more independent as well. I mean, financially, I think compared to this generation. Right. I'm gonna sound like um very old when I say that, but yeah, I mean things were different. It was just a different a different era, but sure, it was uh, quite quite a big leap of faith. But yeah, here we are. So yeah,
0: yeah, I love that story. That's a great story. <laughs> so, um, like does like just you know, I mean, your husband's not here to interview him, but no. and, like um. Is that like usual in Japan? Like, you know, meet someone um, 10 days later, get engaged? It's not,
1: not real, it? No. Yeah. I do have one other woman who met her husband very similar circumstances. Um, and they also got engaged very quickly. I, I should add that we didn't get married right away. We had a year apart. Because right. They, mm. I had to go back to uh, New Zealand for, to fulfill my obligations to the company. Because that obviously brought me the training with the I don't I'd go back and work from Japan with their Japanese staff. Um, so they wouldn't have been very happy and they weren't. <laughs> um, and The other thing was his family were not happy um, mm. because, you know, 10 days, 10 years older and she's 20. That's not his mum. Um, right. yeah, yeah. I stretched the truth a little bit to my parents. I told them I met him a few weeks before I did. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't stretch it <laughs> too much because I hadn't been in the country that long. So I, I had to say I met him soon after I arrived mum. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I didn't want them to worry, uh, but no, his family were not impressed. Uh, but then the company were also very. Um, it's hard. It's sort of hard to imagine now, but we're talking about a different era when everyone's business was everyone's business. And as a young foreigner in the area, you know, I was I, I stood out a lot. So the company tried to sort of break us up with various unhanded techniques. Oh my one, goodness! Mm. One, of the, one of the people in the company, the managers. So it was difficult. My husband really had to make a choice between his family and me, and he chose me. He moved out for a bit. Um, lived alone for a, a year, which is actually unusual in Japan if you're working near your family. Mm. In the case, most people just lived at home until they got married, and that many still do in that area. Um, and gradually, his sort of his mum was widowed, his, his, his dad passed away before I met, met him. But his um, older brother was kind of also not too happy because he was the de facto sort of male representative. So gradually, um, they realized that we were serious and things thawed a little bit, and then they met me finally, almost a year actually afterwards. And then they came to our wedding as well, in New Zealand, um, and then did a nice wedding for us back in Japan. So, you know, by waiting, we we managed to prove that we were serious. It wasn't an easy thing for either of us, especially for him, I think, being cut off from his family for that year. But, um, you know, it showed his commitment. And meanwhile, I was in New Zealand working and making the most of my last year of her life as a Kiwi. Mm. So, money for the wedding. And um spending time mum and dad and my friends there. So yeah, I mean in the, in the long run it all worked out. Mm. And here we wow. are. Wow. So, yeah.
0: Thank you for sharing that story. That's yeah. <laughs> I I thought my husband and I were speedy. Like I met him <laughs> and sort of like three months later, no, I met him three months later we were dating, and then the three months after that we were engaged, and six months after that we were married kind of thing. You know, like it was pretty pretty speedy And the
1: overall the time frame is probably similar. I think yeah, been, yeah. we met Christmas and we were married the April, um, the year, a year, the year, up, not the year after it, the year after that. So in the, in the scheme of things, it, it was probably not unusual. It was just that the engagement was very quick. a long sure. engagement, shall we call it? I think there's a movie called a long engagement or something, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, this is obviously back in the days too, before the internet. So, you know, it wasn't just a, a case of um, Skyping or even emailing yeah, each other. Yeah. And phone calls were super expensive when I first came to Japan and, you know, every, every second week, we're taking turns to call each other for about 10 minutes but we wrote letters um and I still have all his letters um without fail he wrote me a letter every week and he he moved around a lot for his job he went overseas a lot and sometimes they take a bit longer and I go oh no the letter hasn't come and then it would come with foreign stamps Go, oh he must be overseas and I still have all our letters he kept mine and I kept his so oh wow even if if you know you have a day and you're thinking oh you know this sucks <laughs> <laughs> go back and, and and not that I really go upstairs to the attic and look at them but you know they're there yeah, yeah,
0: they're a bit of there. yeah. oh that's so sweet yeah, yeah.
1: very happy 28 years later so. yeah. yeah
0: oh it's thank good. you for sharing that that's yeah. wonderful <laughs> yeah so you have three children and yes. they're, they're um they're all sort of Left the nest to, to
1: sort of example, yeah. Um, yeah, they um are the youngest is 18 still, so she's sort of semi you know perched on the edge of the nest, so to speak. What um what is a bit different about our family is that we sent them all overseas for um high school, it wasn't right. a conscious decision. I mean, when we when we set out, we didn't think they we'd do that. Um, I mean, nobody does, but um, it started with our son, we thought maybe he would um benefit more from a new zealand education and when they were little they always went to school in new zealand every month during their summer vacation here Mm. Um, you know as as kiwis know and aussies know our winters and summers are reversed from japan and the rest of the world so um, the new japanese summer vacation was new zealand winter and school was in session so when i went back to stay with mum and dad and took them back for the summer exodus i'd always put them in the local school started with my son when he was five And the girls just naturally followed and it was really successful. And we could have kept that up till my son was in um, year eight, actually, till he was 13. The girls a bit bit less because we stopped going quite so often. But um, we knew that he liked New Zealand, was a sporty, outgoing boy, very friendly, um, kept the English up. So it was just more of an sort of organic decision with him and it worked out really well. And then the girls, um, I think they were more perhaps suited to the Japanese education than he was, but they wanted to go. We, we thought you have to give them the same opportunity if they wanted. Mm. So we sent them both on a trial basis and both of them wanted to stay within a few weeks. Both of them said, look, I, I want to stay, mum. So um, we just ended up all three went. So one's still there in, in high school and um, her big sister is um, at university. She's doing a medical degree. And then our big boy um, is graduated from university and out the other end of working. So (laughs) one is finally (laughs) playing his own way. But we still have two sort of in the semi in the nest. That one's coming back uh, in two weeks for her winter holidays. Right. So how did,
0: how how was that being, you know, um, Sorry, that's not a great way to phrase it. How <laughs> did it feel being the parent and having the kids going off to school right. in a different country?
1: Sure. It, it's, a, it's a, um, Obviously, it's an emotional thing. And um, what really helped um, and what really was the catalyst for it was that my parents were very happy to have our son. And I credit that much, very much to the fact that we went every year and built that relationship with them and kept the English up. So, I mean, obviously... Most of us want our children to have a relationship with, with their grandparents um, when the parents are overseas, and it's not always easy to do. Um, I was just um, fortunate in that I had a, a, my job was fairly flexible. Um, you know, As long as I have a computer, I can pretty much work on much, many of my products. So I've always been a working mum, and in the early days, much of that money was spent on a, a summer trip home. But I really think it was worthwhile to keep the kids' Kiwi side, help their English, and to build that relationship with the grandparents because that paid off later when um, we wanted to send our son and mom and dad said, yep, we'll have him no problem. Um, had, you know, we had to look at a homestay or something like that it would have been a lot more expensive. Mm. In the beginning, we wouldn't have probably entertained that idea. So very um, much having mom and dad there was, you know, they're the next best thing to, to me, I think, in, in terms of <laughs> what sure. I do. Yeah. So just, just knowing that there's, there's, there's the parents there. and. Um, Of course, um, I miss my son a lot. I used to go by his room and I actually used to cry a little bit, have a little bit of a a weep um, because, you know, he was my first baby, he was my big boy. But I still had two little girls at home and it was a little bit easier when the second one went because I'd done it once. And then I found the dynamics changed quite a lot when there was just one in the nest. I'd always had quite a big routine with the three of them. I had to being a working mum and just juggling all the things you do. I'm sure most mums most out there can well imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, giving each one time, we, used to, we had this thing, we used to call it oya call time or mum and me time. i go to each one's room and spend about, about 20, 20 minutes or so with them. When they were little it was reading a book usually to them. As they got older it might be doing some English practice or just lying on the bed and hearing about their day. As you know, They get very busy here in Japan with their club activities and their, their after school things and you know, in the in the rush of the day when you're always chiving them to do their homework and have their bath and get mm-hmm. to bed, um, it was just a nice time to spend one-on-one with each child. And um, I had this my routine on a weeknight was pretty pretty set because if it didn't if I didn't keep things moving it all felt accustomed Yeah, <laughs> and I didn't have mm-hmm. time for myself. And to you know, I work at night too. I needed that time from them. Um, but when the youngest was the only one left, it kind of became a lot more flexible. And I think this is often the case when the youngest child is the last one at home. So um, from 12, she was the only one because her sister was um, at 15 when she went to New Zealand. They're all, f- all three years apart, basically. And uh, I just became a bit more relaxed to think about things. But, you know, she still, she's, she was good. She didn't take advantage of it too much. <laughs> but some of the rules sort of just became a bit mm-hmm. yeah. And when she went, I thought I'd be really upset because each time she's moved up in the education system, I was in floods of tears at all the graduations because she was my baby. But in a way, it was a bit it was quite, um, how shall I say? I wouldn't say, no, not glad to get rid of and that sounds wrong, but sort of excited as well that there was more no time for me. Right, and, um, yeah. I also thought that I'd have all this extra free time that actually worked kind of just, other things just naturally, it seems every time I'm at one stage in my life where I have a bit more time, coming up because one thing in something else just comes along and and naturally you move on so it was just kind of an organic thing really and we have skype and um knowing that the kids have got um you know their siblings there my middle one overlapped with both her brother and her sister and she's still there in uni um and she sees her sister quite a lot so it's nice that they had that relationship and um as i said i mean they do come back we go I go over more often now than I used to because it's just me going. I'm not having to take a whole bunch of them. I sure, don't. yeah. So, right. Yeah, we were there at Golden Week to see them all, and um, my son and his girlfriend came too, so we all gathered at Mum and Dad's. We had Christmas together. So yeah, I mean, it's just as I've got older, it's just become a bit more flexible in some ways. But um, yeah, I kind of do. I do think the one thing I did miss out was those late teen years. when you're not there, you do um, obviously miss out on some things. But the rewards and the things they've gained have also been really amazing. So we don't regret it. Sure. <laughs> so it's not been an easy thing. Um, sure. I think, sorry, you, you wouldn't take it on. I think if we know at the beginning how much it was going to cost, we probably wouldn't have done that with all of them. But at the time, you just don't know. And I do thoroughly believe that what you do with one, you should offer the others the chance to. You, right. mean, you may not yeah. want to follow the same path because different kids have different, obviously, ideas and, and needs. But... It is nice they all did the same path because they have a shared experience. Um, they've all pretty much gone through Japanese, weku Japanese Japanese or Japanese or so daycare, elementary school, middle school, and now they've all gone to the same high school in New Zealand. Unis, they've gone, my son and my oldest girl have gone to different universities, but basically the sort of transition through, through life from child to teenager to adult has been similar. Right. So I think we have that shared experience, which I think will always be, um, a bonding thing for them, if that makes sense, <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, and what were some of the things that popped up you know with the kids being over in New Zealand that you didn't expect
1: right that's a good question um obviously, there's always things that you think you've planned for um a big one was I thought in the beginning, especially when my son went um that coming home once a year would be enough right well, it wasn't it wasn't for either of us um and, you know, nice as it is for my grandparents, for my parents to have him and, 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 you know, he got on a fine with them. Um, also, they needed a break from him. So sure. um, we brought him home twice a year uh, for Christmas, New Year, and then um, for his winter break, which is roughly July. Um, and one problem with that was it didn't align with my girls' holidays. Right. It was on the Japanese. Mm. Um, he was usually just sort of about finishing his winter break when they were going on their summer break. So... Um we'd always traveled a lot as a family. That was one thing that I really always enjoyed and and tried to push because it it gives you that time away from the pressures of, you know, the everyday Yes. my work and and, you know, dinner and cleaning up and yelling at home and all that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. It's a really wonderful time to connect and spend quality time. So I kind of missed that a bit. Um but what I did was I started taking him on little trips. Like she took him on one overseas trip, which his sister didn't go on to see people he'd known um when he was little. Um, overseas, so that was you know a bit different. Um, so there's a little bit of a um, some of the things that we used to do as a whole family we couldn't do anymore because of the, the fact that they weren't all um, in the same education system. Mm. So well, um, but money, of course, it's always a big one. always it's always going to cost more than you think. Right. My parents were very good. They didn't charge us any more than they really needed. For you know, I didn't want them to have to scrimp and save at their age. So they, they didn't really make much on it, but um, things like school balls, which will be the equivalent of the prom, the American prom, where they dress up, you know, have a nice yeah. ball dress and everything. For a boy, it's just a tuxedo and maybe a corsage for a date. But oh my goodness, for a girl, <laughs> <times> <laughs> the um, this my youngest had her latest ball just a few weeks ago. A limo, um, you know, hair done. Um, Nails done, shoes, big sister shoes didn't cut it. <laughs> uh, she was invited to a couple of extra balls as well at other schools. Um, right. Friends or friends kind of things, friends, cousins, and that. And you can't wear the same ball dress to three different balls, a mum, so she had to go rent an extra one. And I was a bit, wow, you know, even compared to her sister, I think things have changed a bit. Just seems like they get more and more sophisticated. And I've right. seen with my friends over there too, they said the same thing. I think. Australia and England as well. They're, they're beginning to have more, you know, dressing up. Um, I suppose American prom is is was the one we think of, but we do have that in New Zealand too. Um, just uh car as well, because they can get their license. I guess they get any license when they're um, sixteen now. I think isn't it? Mm. Fifteen when we were kids. A little bit early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as a parent, at, at the time, I thought it wasn't, but as a parent, I think it mm. was early. But they can start to get their license when they're 16. And of course, um, New Zealand is not like Japan with trains all over the place. My, my parents live in quite a rural area and the school is in a rural area too. So they wanted cars. A lot of their friends were using mum and dad's car or second cars. So we got a car for our son um, and then he and his sister shared it. Then um, the older sister and the younger sister started to share one. And then the older sister went to university and... Our little sister had the car at her dormitory she's boarding at the school this year because mum and dad are getting a bit old to have another teenager and uh, she got used to that but then big sister is now on hospital rotations so she's based at the hospital and she's traveling back and forth in a, a fairly um, remote area of many cases and she needed the car so little sister was not happy to not have a car this year in her senior year so she uh, bought a car with some of her savings um, so that would probably not happen to a high schooler in, in New Zealand in Japan. No, <laughs> it's different, it's isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, all, all these are things that we didn't really um, sort of, you just don't think about it, you know. But I will tell you that a lovely thing that happened was that they've got closer to their grandparents. And um, my dad's not too well. He has he has terminal cancer and he's actually gone past what we, what we were told. So he's kind of in a holding pattern right now. Mm. And I'm grateful for that. But um he is slowly getting weaker and you know, my mum and he are not as young as they were, but they have my two daughters close by and the girls can support them. My older girl has taken dad to the hospital a few times when mum couldn't or didn't want to go and has, you know, popped in and see him and just sort of supporting them in a way that um they wouldn't have been able to do had they had they been here. Mm. And I also feel I should be there and doing more, which is a bit difficult. Um so it's lovely that the kids are there. Yeah. We're getting to, in some small way, repay a little bit of the care and love they got. And um, also my dad, I think it gave him a new lease on my thing and the kids there because uh, he had just retired, actually, when my son went. And he was able to kind of take care of all the, like, teaching him to drive and driving to his, my son played a lot of sports, driving to his sports games. Um, my dad was a businessman. So all my kids have done business studies. He was, he's been able to mentor them through that. Um, so yeah, he, I think he actually enjoyed having that aspect of the kids there as, you know, like a project almost.
0: Yeah, that's um,
1: nice. Yeah, I think nice. it was harder on mum because she sort of got stuck with the, the cooking. and Sure, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, teenagers, even if you, the loveliest teenager is still a teenager. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they kind of just, um, kids are like that. They just kind of, you know, expand to fit the space available and yeah, but I think overall it's been a, a very good experience and I'm very grateful to my parents for or, you know, facilitating that, especially for the older two, because they stay with them the whole year, the whole time. I guess it's been a bit different because she has been in homestays and boarding, um, but she does go back to, to nanogram grandpas probably once a month for like a weekend break. Um, so yeah, it's all, it's all just taking it one day at a time really. Hmm. Yeah. That's,
0: that's super interesting for me to hear about, that from your perspective obviously my children are four and eight so right. um, a little yeah. wee way off but yeah. for us, but you know it's kind of similar in that if we did something if we were to do what you know the same, go down the same path you have it would right. be fairly similar and so i'm glad to know that you know the effort we're putting in now to go home every year or every exactly. six months even and stay with my mother for a longer periods you know that could really pay off later
1: I really think it does. Yeah. I think it gives you, um, it builds, it's building those bonds. And I mean, that's not to say that my parents wouldn't have had my kids, even if they didn't know them so well. But I just think there would have been probably more hesitation and on both sides. I mean, you know, to go over and stay, to give up your your, your friends and school in New Zealand and Japan and then go stay in New Zealand with grandparents you didn't know that well would be um, a bit intimidating for the kids as, as much as the grandparents. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I think, um, just sort of to link, link back to what you said, I think a lot of um, parents like us, um, perhaps especially women maybe, who are raising bicultural kids here, um, you know, the Japanese system serves them well in many ways. I think the elementary schools are very, um, you know, they have a broad-based education, they have a lot of um, nice They have cooking, they have science, they have physical activity, they have um, a lot of really nice opportunities. But as they sort of start getting up in the school system, you know, alarm bells do start to ring, I think, with the whole rote learning and the passive learning environment. That is changing. And I will, I will say that. And of course, there are different kinds of schools, especially if you go private. But the standard sort of education in Japan is still preparation for exams. And it's rather passive. And, you know, school begins to take precedence in their lives from junior high, with so the club activities, all that kind of thing. And, you know, you don't really see a teenager very much once they get into junior high school. Mm. So um, also that I think it can often narrow their, um, pretty much narrow a little bit what they end up doing because um, they don't really um, start to specialise in things until they get to high school. And then suddenly they have to choose between science and kind of humanities in their second year of high school. Um, whereas in New Zealand, I just think it's been more flexible for them. Um, for example, my middle one is at medical school, which wouldn't have ever happened in a million years in Japan, because they were in a junior high school with a um, strong English program, it was a private school. And um, we chose it for the English and for the fact that they had a lot of bicultural children like mine and also a lot of returnees. So it was quite a, a multicultural, diverse group. Um, very nice school, the kids had a lot of friends, all three went to the same one, all three were very happy. But I could see the narrowing down as they got up to the high school. And looking at the types of universities that the the seniors went to and that my older two, that their friends have gone to, they're very much um, arts, liberal arts, sort of um, humanities, social science based. Um, Basically, I was told by another mum, if you really want your kid to go the science route, you would um, have them go to a different high school. So you've only just got into the school, passed the exam to get in, and then you're looking at doing the whole... Exam process to go to high school, and you know, kids at junior high they often don't know what they want to do. Oh God, and yeah, yeah. It's kind of a moment that stands out um as that's not the moment that we decided to send our son to New Zealand, but I think it was the moment when I realised that maybe his future wasn't in Japan. He was still only thirteen. He was in year, uh at the equivalent of year eight, so grade uh, seventh, eighth grade, so the second year of junior high, and his homeroom teacher and I were having a, a one of those sort of heart-to-hearts that you have with it, like a, a, an interview with and the, the, the kid as well, so the three of you. And he said, what are your aspirations for university? This is a 13-year-old eighth grader. He mm. doesn't know what his aspirations are for the weekend. He lives for the moment. He <laughs> lives for the moment at that age. Especially boys, I think. I mm-hmm. I have no idea. I said, I want to play professional football or something like that. Mm. And I thought, you know, this might be the time that we need to think about options. So um, I do think that by sending them to New Zealand, they were able to pursue different opportunities, even just with the club activities. You know, as you as you, and probably some of your listeners know who've got kids in Japanese schools, when they get into junior high, they normally choose one club, and that's it, and they do that one ad nauseum. Um, in some ways, it's good. It means they get some kind of one, one thing that they get quite good at, they build, know bonds with their teammates, with with kids from lower and higher grades, which is all part of in that being playing and taking one for the team aspect of Japanese culture. Hmm. Um, But it does shut off an awful lot of other things. Usually means they don't have time for other after school activities, whatever they've been doing in primary school they often drop. And they do it ad nauseum and then suddenly they get to high school exam time and they drop everything. (laughs) So they drop an active lifestyle for just sitting in front of their their desk and uh, maybe going to cram school so um, to me it seems quite unbalanced and my kids ordered club activities through junior high but they also did other things they they went to a school where um, because it was private they weren't quite so um, gung-ho about clubs because the kids were commuting from different places some had looked overseas had different ideas my son was doing um, one sport at school he was doing american football outside the school he was on nhk tv shows he was an age of Boy Scout being up his English to the American Boy Scouts and mm. no wonder he didn't study <laughs> right. um, that was a bit unusual though my girls did choir which was very um, choir handbills actually which was rather a nice club because I got to see all their performances it was like two and one and um, each one had something that they did after school as well but rather unusual I think most most of their, their peers in Japan probably just do one thing so in New Zealand they've all done an amazing amount of things um, son kept doing American football he also played they play usually seasonal sports. So he's able to do um, like soccer and basketball and American football. He was also in the choir. Um, I think he started a manga club at some point. <laughs> 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 oh, it it's really cool. man. We just sit around and watch Japanese manga. Everyone thinks I know all about it because I'm Japanese. <laughs> and he's getting extra credit for that. Um, our middle one um, was a bit more focused on her education. She, she was only there for three years. The other two have gone for four years just based on their, birthdays really in the system um so she went straight into an exam year she didn't have quite so much time for extracurricular stuff but she um she did do different things and our youngest um, she actually jumped into rowing which is as you know huge in New Zealand mm. the last thing I would have expected because it's so full on but she gave it two seasons and I'm really proud of it because that that's a big commitment it's like practicing on the lake there's a lake nearby or in the in the gym or if you're not on the the squad doing the lake or the or the gym, then you have to do running or swimming or something. Pretty much, you had to hire a rowing machine one year. She was back for the Japanese Christmas vacation, oh so my she, goodness, she's given that up now because she's in her final year and facing her entrance exams. But she does lacrosse. She's been in the school musical every year. Um, she's in the outdoor sort of tramping and hiking club, um, which is connected to the Duke of Edinburgh Awards. You mm-hmm. probably know about those, Jane. Um, it's a national kind of outdoor education scheme that uh, a lot of New Zealand teenagers participate in. It's named after the Queen's husband, because he's the patron Duke of Edinburgh. they which is hiking and tramping a lot of the weekends as well. She's a busy girl. <laughs> she has a very good social life. So I think combining all that in Japan would not have been an mm. option at all. Yeah. yeah. So they've had a very multi, uh, a very diverse sort of teenage um, experience, shall we say. Um, many things. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, thank you for, um, you know, going into the details of it all and yeah. just to give us sort of insight into what, you know, a student could expect. Right, you know, right. To, you know, especially, well, this is, you're just speaking from New Zealand, but, you exactly.
1: know. Of course it is New Zealand, but I think um, in general, the experience would be not dissimilar in a lot of the other countries where your listeners might be from. Um, yeah, yeah. I that. yeah, that's great. Um, I just wanted to mention too, as a mum of daughters and a son, that I have to say, Um, And and I think as a mum, you will also um, probably um, recognize this, that there is a little bit of a tendency still to pigeonhole girls for certain things in Japan. And um, not, you know, I know a lot of hardworking young women who end up in uh, kind of humanities and liberal arts just because that's kind of what girls do. (laughs) Um, So I'm rather glad that my girls had the chance to go to New Zealand and find that they like the STEM subjects, you know, maths and sciences. Um, it looks like our youngest is heading for that direction as well. Um, my son did science and ended up doing business as well. So he's now in kind of the uh, financial industry. But um, there's no way that my daughter, or older girl, would have had a science career, had she stayed in Japan, not, not at the school she was at. Right. Um, and, and she's also seen other models of successful women, which um, is still lacking in Japan, I'm sorry to say. And I think most of us would agree with that. She's, it's not really based on if you're a girl and if you're a boy it 's very much everyone's in it, based on their merit's not on their gender, so I think that 's given her a bit of a um, a wider view, world view, shall we say yeah right yeah mm.
0: and so you know through all of this you 've been working as a freelance writer, and i 've mm. had some um, listeners say when they heard that you were going to be on the podcast and ask me um, get please ask Louise to tell us how did she get into being a freelance writer and you know like everybody wants to know like i mean we can all be writers if we want to but how do well, you a get paid to right. be a writer like that's that. true i mean there are a
1: lot of good writers out there but yes to be paid for one i agree um well i i should say as a, as a little girl it was always my dream to be a writer i imagined i'd be writing children's books <laughs> right um, but i had a head i had a principal and um, my principal when i was eight like eight or nine in, in um in little country school he taught the, the the equivalent of year five and six and he encouraged me. he said "No, one day you should be a professional writer and it was kind of cool because he's still around and i went to see him and his wife um last time i was home and presented them with some of i've sent him links you know we stay in touch we some christmas cards and things it's kind of lovely because he was probably my first mentor i think mr willis <laughs> i give him a shout out, <laughs> mr willis of boy curious school that the school is no longer there but mr willis and goes strong um So even as a child, um, English was, we called it language school, but you know, language arts, whatever, that was my strong subject. But you know, it's not a very practical thing. Um, So when you got to university, I didn't take English just because I thought Japanese and economics would be more suitable for my desired path. But um, I ended up in a publishing company. So that was a bit of a help, I think, to have that background. Um, So I, I worked for a major Japanese publishing firm until I had my first child, then we were sent to the USA for several years for my husband's job. So that's how that, that happened. Otherwise, I might, have, I might still be working for them because I loved my job. It was a very progressive company. Um, and I still do work for them, part through lines, actually. But I was sort of, had my career <laughs> interrupted by the fact that we were sent to the US and I didn't want to be a, a solo mum. So I mm. had two, two kids over there. I went back to grad school to so make good use of the time. And then we came back, and I had another one in quick succession, um, not quite planned. So, with three little children under six, um, you know, working is very difficult if you don't have daycare. And of course, getting into daycare is a difficulty. And it's Catch 22, as I'm sure a lot of your working mum listeners know. If you don't have the daycare, you can't work. But if you don't have a job, you can't get them into daycare.
0: Yeah.
1: And the the, the easiest way to do that was just to start freelancing, just doing whatever I could. Um, my son went to kindy to Yuchen, and um, the girls uh, went like a little preschool. The oldest one went to a little preschool for a while and all my money just went on keeping her there. And then when the baby, the third one came along, I really, I knew I had to really <laughs> ramp up my efforts. So um, luckily the year my son started school, the girls got into daycare. Um, they were just a, two months old and three years old. So the girls both got into daycare at the same time. And once they were in, it was, it was just like paradise because, Japanese hoi is so great and I was able to take on more opportunities um I kind of started off doing more work for my old boss at my old company um the fact that I had a at a higher degree also helped a bit because she was able to give me some work that they would only probably give to people who had some kind of educational background um there're a little bit a little bit of snobbery in the educational publishing side too if you have some kind of credentials they'll they'll let you write stuff whereas um sometimes you know, they'll hire it out to a professor or something. There's, you know, there's different, different kind of levels of what people do. But because I had the Japanese skills and the editing side as well, I think they were, you know, they I knew the company. They knew that I, I, I knew what they wanted and they, the way they do things. And I could talk to the editors in Japanese and email them in Japanese. So that helped. And just um, being able to write for any media, like they, they'd say, well, can you develop a series for primary school children learning English? Said, so, yep, you can do that. could you um edit the series for um third year high uh, high school students thinking of going to a medium level university (laughs) yep i can do that so you become quite flexible um and then as for the media side um i i'm a long time reader of the japan times and i used to look at the paper and think i could have written that and um but never really had the uh, should the confidence, a lot of it is confidence, and being a bit cheeky as well. I have to say, but then there was a, an opportunity for a reader to just write in with something, and they did it, and it got published. And um, to my surprise, actually paid for it just a little bit, just a stipend. But I thought, oh, okay. And I wrote back to the editor and said, um, you know, um, you know, sorry if this is cheeky, but w- would it be okay if I, you know, w- would you be willing to? look at some commissions and they said, sure, send some ideas. And it just went organically from there. Um, and I think when you are working with editors in the media, they're busy people. So obviously they want, um, and each one has their own style. I work with multiple editors now in different um, media. So you obviously have to know what their style is. Um, you have to work to their specifications. They're calling the shots. Um, as you build up some rapport and a body of work, you can have a little bit more leeway. They'll start coming to you probably. But in the beginning, you really have to think of each job as being your, your, your first job for that editor. You know, make sure that you're on, on point with your deadline. Send clean copy. You know, don't send sloppy. Sloppy um, work with, with silly errors. Um, I have done a bit of editing for a magazine part-time in my day. Um, and I have to say some of the things that were sitting in. I'm like, really, did they spell check this? You know, so these are all just, um, these are not rocket science points, but, you know, you'd be surprised. Um, you have to write to their style, you know. Um, if there's a word limit, you, you stick with that. You can't, I mean, no editor wants to go through and have to cut half the copy because it's over, over the limit. So, I mean, all these things are uh, separate to the actual writing, but they're all very important. But I really think um, just taking that first step and contacting a, a publication, they can only say no. And also have to have a little bit of a thick skin because now and then, they, you know, you, you might get rejected. I um, haven't had too much of that, actually. I've been quite lucky because in the beginning, I was a bit uh, fragile. Um, but, you know, I've written to a few things, places that uh, never wrote back to me. Um, but at this point, I have several kinds of media that I work with and I love what I do. And um, it's always a thrill to have something published. Whether yes, it's yes. on And, I, you know, I think that thrill never goes and I've never lost, which I think to me shows that i'm in the right um the right field for myself um i do get a, it it sounds big headed but i get a big buzz out of seeing something that i've written online or in, in the whatever media it is these days it's often both um print and, and, and in line for some of the publications and you know just reading the thing yeah i did a good job on that now and then some, oh no there was a typo no one caught that <laughs> that happens um but I love telling stories. I love, um, when I interview people, I love it when someone will write back and say, thank you, you really got what I wanted to say and thank you so much. And that's always a big thrill. Also being able to share some particular issue that I'm quite passionate about. I'm very interested in, obviously, in education and bicultural child raising, women's issues, very much as a woman based in Japan, animals, big animal lovers. So I've, I've taken a few um, quite um, disturbing sort of cases about animal abuse on and written about them, um, which wasn't an easy thing to do, but if I could bring something to the public's awareness, then I'm happy to do so. Um, so, you know, there's very, various kinds of media and various kinds of writing, but being adaptable and, and just um, looking out for opportunities is also very important, I think. Um, also having an online presence and a body of work that you can send to people as an example is very helpful. Um, there are a lot of places out there which won't pay but will, will um, take um, first-time writers and if you can get something on the site then you've got some links you can send to an editor to say that yeah hey look this is what i've done this is an example of, of what i how i work um see so yeah, there's quite a lot involved really and um it's not probably as easy as some people think um one one tip is don't just cold don't just contact someone out of the blue and send an article editors don't work that way they they want to commission something so if you have an idea for an article contact the editor or or you know whoever you can find and pitch it then if they want it then i mean don't write something and put your heart into it and then and send it and then they'll probably never get back to you because that's not how it works i didn't know that either
0: (laughs) (laughs) right yeah no that's a that's a great tip yeah just pitch your ideas Go. yeah,
1: yeah it sounds like you might think you know that people knew that but the surprising people will say to me oh i've written this article do you think you couldn't tell one of your editors or judges so i'm like well i'm sorry but trying to, to tell you um you know because there's always a style and there's always mm, a little, yeah know, things to consider and and they might not want that topic you know um one other thing just be cheeky be cheeky you have to be be thick-skinned because you will be rejected probably um but you know keep keep going there and um Use contacts, you know, people um, come to me with stories, ideas, It's just great. I've had some wonderful li- wonderful links from people. Um, another thing that is also, it's not perhaps as, as out there as the, the media news side, but, you know, business content writing is well paid and is something, if someone can write in a fairly generic term, you're not going to probably have your byline on it. They don't usually put the person's name on for business content for a company, but it pays well. So that is another avenue that people might, it's a little bit different from copywriting. Um, there is some, some, um, overlap, but I call it business content rather than copywriting because is more for the average ab- ab- editorial side, I think. Um, but I do a lot of business content these days for um, various companies and it's nice, you know, it's, it's nice work. So once you've got your sort of foot in the door, um, it's amazing how things were just, um, all linked together because mm. Good solid writers, good writers who can grab what the pers- what the co- client needs and wants and turn it into what the client was looking for, um, and often getting the right resources for for quotes or you know looking things up online. Being bilingual in Japanese and being able to um, look up things in Japanese is obviously very helpful if you're dealing with the Japanese market. But you know you can work remotely. Not all my clients um, are Japanese companies, so. Um, it just all kind of spirals up once you're in a good place it all spirals up but my one thing is I always look at every piece as my first job for that client even though I've done work for them for 10 years or done you know of 10 pieces I always try to keep that professionalism because as a freelancer I think you need that you know if you're working for a company full-time you can have a bad day here and there and you're not going to get fired but when you're a freelancer very much your own boss and yeah you know, if, if <coughs> well, piss off an editor or just, you know, send something in late and then it reflects on them, they have a bad time from their boss over it, you know, chances are they'll think again before hiring you or sending. And if they like what you do and a professional, they are very likely to come back. I've yeah. had people come back years after the fact. I mean, sometimes one project will end, um, especially in the educational publishing side, and then years later something else will come up that they think um, that they remember me and they'll come back to me. So you just never know.
0: Yeah, um, exactly. But if you leave it in a good place, yeah, they're exactly, really exactly. likely to come back to you if there's an opportunity. Um, it is
1: unpredictable, though. I mean, sometimes um, I don't have too many goals anymore, but um, sometimes just too much comes at once. And you obviously have to be very, you have to delegate, and you have to be very, um, you know, aware of your schedules. Now and then if something's just not going to work, I'll say, look, I'd love to do it, but do you mind if we set it back a couple of days? And usually people are flexible with that. They'll often tell you a deadline a bit earlier than they really need it. And if they know that you've performed well before and get it on time and, and promise, keep stick to promises, I say, okay, yeah, that, that, two days later, Louise, that's fine, no worries. So, yeah, it's it's also a trust relationship, I think, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more involved than just writing. <laughs> just, just being a good yeah, writer. Yeah, it's not fun. just writing, is it? It's all... Well, yeah, but it's, it's fun. It's fun. It's flexible. I can take my computer and, and go and just bucks <laughs> and do everything. Um, I met some, more and more, meeting some really interesting people going out and, you know, getting invited to events and networking. And now that the children are, are no longer at my big, be- I'm no longer at their beck and call. Cool, it's become, um, you know, very, um, I can, I'm very free. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so just, yeah, just before we um, sign off, cause we need to be um, aware of the time. I know you yeah, have to get yeah. going. Yeah. Just before we um, get going, I'd love you to tell us a little bit about this book that you've got coming.
1: Oh, thank you for asking actually. Yeah. Um, yeah i aside from the the educational and media and all that stuff i do um a bit of um now and then i have an opportunity to do some actual books and this is a project that came up with a fellow um foreign wife who's got children in the japanese system she's a a full-time um, professor but she also also writes and um we're editing a book um it's an academic book but we hope that it will also be good for um parents in the general populace about academic choices, uh, sorry, not academic choices, educational choices for um, bicultural families or for for families where there's a foreign parent. So whether there's one foreign parent or two foreign parents raising children in Japan, and we've got an amazing group of um, people who contributed. Um, I'm writing a chapter about pretty much what we talked about, actually, my kids going overseas and the process that led to that and then how how that went. And uh, my co-author, uh, sorry, co-editor, I should say. Um, her name is Malady Cook. She's writing about the um, um, fostering and um, adoption issues, which is something she's very knowledgeable about. We've got a solo dad. We've got um, a couple who've written. We've got um, parents who've written about their children with um, learning challenges. We've got people who've dealt with specific aspects of the um, foreign parent uh, experience, identity, homework, all kinds of things. And it's a, we think it's gonna be really exciting. And it should be coming out, we're hoping, um, this summer. It's probably going to be ebook to start with, and then we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes from there. And it's going to be coming out with, just um, make sure I get the publishing name right here, Cannellyn um, and Minard, is the name of the company. But um, it, should be, it should be easy enough to, to look up uh, Kitaka and Cook and, and it should come up. We're really excited because we think it's, it's something that hasn't been done before. It's, it's academic, but it's also very much focused at regular regular families. So mm. it will kind of bridge a gap that we, we think has, has existed. So still in the midst of it, but seeing the end.
0: So <laughs> is the title Educational Choices? Um,
1: the, title has the title <laughs> hasn't been uh, decided yet, so I'm not sure if I should. Oh, okay, right. I think something like uh, Educational Choices. Right now the working title, I think Educational Choices for ex parents in Japan, but the expat kind of doesn't really fit many of the of our kind of ideas of what we what we call ourselves. Expat to many people is people who just come for a few years for a company transfer, then go back. Hmm. Um, we're not quite sure if that's going to be the, the, the full title. But um, that the editors are Melody Cook and Louise Kitaka. So okay, so mm. yeah,
0: we'll link that up as soon as we get any. Be great. Yeah, um, yeah, you have to send me the links for that when it's becomes available, and we'll yeah. pop those in the show I notes. Think
1: so that will be a, a real use. To, the kind of things that we wish we'd had you nominated. Know,
0: yes, so much. So much knowledge in that book. Yeah, I'm sure, really
1: right? Amazing, really amazing people have contributed. So yeah, yeah. So that's all going to come together. I, well, it will. It will. Oh, fingers crossed. It will come together. <laughs> And if people are interested in looking at my work online, you can just go and find me, Japan Times. I write for Savvy Tokyo. Um, a lot of other places, Kansai scene, a lot of travel, more and more travel, which is really fun. I'm getting involved in some uh, incentive travel and different stuff like that. And uh, it's all good. It really is It's, it's, it's a journey. And uh, I'm 50 this year. And I have to say, I used to think 50 felt like, well, that's so middle late, but it's not. I just feel like I'm <laughs> really just sell it. <laughs> that's
0: great yeah. thank you so much for sharing so many gems with us about what it's like <laughs> in the in the future if you've got smaller kids you know i'm just yeah, letting you know, it all up here
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, it stuff. really it really does i, I looking back the years are uh, the days are long but the years are short that's sort of they uh, certainly are that's that that one of my, my favorite from. quotes <laughs> yeah i think gonna borrow that from uh, that twitch Rubin. yes yes I, I, I love her stuff i follow her but they really are. Looking back, it has gone quite quickly. And, uh, you know, it hasn't always been easy. And there's been many bumps in the road along the way. Don't get me wrong. Many days I just wanted to pull my hair out or exit sure, and yeah. grab what dign- scraps of dignity I had and just keep on walking. Um, but, you know, for um, beautiful ways, kids do change you. And they've been, um, I've learned, I think I've learned more from my kids than they have from me. And I'm, I'm very, um, very grateful to have had the opportunity to raise through them. So, yeah, all the best to everyone still in the trenches.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for coming on today, Louise.
1: I had a ball talking to you. I hope some of it was useful and interesting. Yes, it was. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Have a good one, Jane. Bye.
0: So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Louise and that there was some little tidbits there that were of use to you perhaps um, about, you know, sending your kids overseas potentially in the future or, you know, about getting back into the workforce or becoming a writer. And I know I had one or two people asking me um, to ask Louise about that. So you know who you are. I hope <laughs> that helps you to get out there and just give it a go and pitch some ideas to editors. That's what she said is the thing to do rather than to go and write an article and then hope that someone will accept it. So that's really great Um great uh, advice there from someone who's already working as a freelance writer and it was interesting to hear about the differences between you know perhaps you could be a business writer versus um, writing for the media or something and those jobs tend to be very well paid as well so that's really interesting to know and you know it's great to have you know work that's flexible especially if you are you know like um, you like myself especially, living between sort of two countries or balancing two countries and visits home with your family and things, it's great to have work that is flexible like, for example, freelance writing or something that you can do that gives you a real kick and is also something you can do anywhere in the world. That's just sort of a dream job, isn't it, really? I love that. So thank you so much to Louise for sharing all of that today. And wasn't it amazing about that, her story about, well, not her story, but yeah, about meeting her husband and 10 days later, they were engaged and they're still happily married 28 years later. That's so romantic. So fabulous. I love it. Yes. So that is all for the Transformations with Jane podcast for this until the end of summer. Now, if you would like to be featured on the podcast after summer, please contact me anytime, um, you know, anytime. So I'd love to hear from you. You can get me um, over at at Jane Nakata on Instagram or find me on Facebook at uh, Transformations with Jane on Facebook there. Um, It's easy enough to find, I'm sure let me know that just just put your hand up you know we've had all kinds of people from all all walks of life come on the podcast so don't knock yourself out of the running, um, even you know, even if you have this tiny little voice saying, oh, look, I quite like to do that too, then you should definitely send me an email because the chances are if you're listening to this podcast, then potentially you would be a great person to be interviewed on the podcast. I love featuring especially women who are living in Japan and doing, you know, doing things their way in their part of Japan and you know, putting you know, really highlighting how we can have a life that we want, you know, even in Japan, wherever you are in the world, and it's it's up to you. It's only up to you to to, to, to make it happen. So If that's you, definitely reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. So I'll be enjoying some family time in New Zealand this summer with my kids and helping them with their English. And of course, I'll be struggling through the Japanese school summer homework, which hopefully will arrive by mail. Or if we're really lucky, we may be able to get it before we leave. We're leaving a little bit early this year. Um because I got some amazing cheap flights um, to get back to New Zealand and I just meant we have to leave a little bit earlier than we normally would, but that's okay. (laughs) A few more extra days in New Zealand away from the heat and the mugginess of Japan are much appreciated. So very looking forward to that, very looking forward to getting into the nature, getting out there and doing walking and running and being on the beach with the kids. Even though it's winter in New Zealand, we can still do those things. It's not that bad, as long as it's not um, absolutely hosing down with rain. And we'll be back here at the end of August, and the Transformations with Jane podcast will be back online again around the 1st of uh, September. I think, I'm not sure what the first week of September, the date is, but the first Monday of September, there'll be an episode for you. Oh, that's the 2nd of September. There you go. All right. So thank you as always so much for listening and I would love to hear from you. So please just shout out, um, tell me your thoughts, any feedback. I'd love to hear from you. And I wish you a wonderful summer or if you're not in the Northern Hemisphere, then uh, stay well. Don't get sick if it's winter where you are. I wish you a wonderful summer vacation for those of you who are heading home or if you're staying. Please come to Fukushima, especially to Iwaki City. It's lovely here during summer, <laughs> even though I'm running away from summer. Um, I'm sure it's the weather will be fabulous compared to Tokyo, for example. All right, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in September. Bye-bye. 皆さん で<笑> ね、10日後に婚約してすこいてすよねもうlove あの、at first sightみたいな話ですよね。で、1年後結婚しましたっていう話でした。もう本当に鳥肌になった話でした。<笑> 素敵私はケースあるんですねそのそのあの結婚。でもなので別にあの、ちょうど子供 idiotic 娘とあと。なので、あとあの 5歳て娘は 先輩、先輩なので、あの、、娘はあと時期、例えば、あと あのダンスパーティーあのプロムって言ってたんですけど、あの皆さんはその綺麗なドレスを着てあのダンスパーティーに行くみたいなの集まりがあるんですよね。そういうお金とかあのロジスティックもあるからそういう考えたことなかったんだって、うん、面白かったんですね。で今ロイスさんはあのフリーランスライター<笑><笑> あの Japan 仕事いろんな、、メディア、例えば、あとあと大学あの、初めなんか じゃあ、あの、<笑> どうやって今月 7月 月今この毎月ジェンあとコミュニティなので、ま、毎日じゃあの、、別にな(笑)のでぜひ皆さん参加してみてください So have a good summer vacation and talk to you in September Okay bye bye